The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Good morning, church. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I don't say this just to be repetitive, but man, I'm I'm always grateful to come and together to worship with you guys, uh, the old faces and the new faces alike. So um, thank you again if you are a guest with us. Uh, thank you for joining us, and um, I hope it's not the last time that you come and, and visit downtown church. But just real quick, if you haven't been joining us the past consecutive weeks, over the past three weeks rather, we've uh, noticed in John Jesus encountering uh, three types of people. Uh, Back in chapter three, we see him encountering a respected Jewish teacher, uh, Nicodemus. And in chapter four, last week, Pastor Richard uh, preached through John chapter four, the woman at the well. And this morning, as Oliver just read, we see an official working for the the Roman government. And, And all these individuals had specific needs that only Jesus had the specific solutions to meet. And he not only brings solution, he, he brings good news at the core of all their needs. And, and today we will see what happens when desperation and faith meet. But before we go any further, we, we must go to the Lord and ask him to, to give us the grace to receive his eternal and powerful word. So let's pray together. Father, we do thank you that you are awesome, as we just sang. And we pray that we would uh, come before you uh, needy, open, ready to hear for what you have to say to us. And so, God, I, I ask for all of us, remove the distractions. Quick to maybe browse through our phones or start the grocery list or Think about the things in this week. And so, God, we just ask for your grace in this time that we would just hear from you, the one and true living God. And it's in Christ that we pray. Amen. I'm not going to bury my son. My son is going to bury me. This may be a familiar line uh, from a movie called John Q, which was released about 20 years ago. Denzel Washington, who's the lead actor, plays John Q. Archibald. And Denzel plays this character who's an ordinary factory worker, and he take care of his family. His wife, Denise, and his son is all that he has. But the movie turns for the worse. When his boy Michael becomes ill, he urgently has to go undergo a heart transplant. But the thing about it is John Q, his wife, they don't have the insurance to cover for his operation. John would do anything to save his son's life. So driven by desperation, he takes hostage the emergency department. He's forcing the hospital to operate on his boy. He was desperate. To see his son well, he took matters into his own hands. You've probably seen the movie. You know it had the Hollywood happy ending. His boy receives the treatment. And... But when we think about just the desperation, we think about what despair can do to us. Sometimes it, it leads to 
a destructive ending in real life. That's what happens when we take matters into our own hands. We, we look to ourselves to fix our situation. We, we look to ourselves maybe to escape and to avoid it or, or to fight it. And the question that we must face today is, what is something in your life that you're controlling out of despair and you have removed God from the equation? Jesus wants us to seek him, not as the last resort, but he wants us to seek him as the first resort. In our text, this father, he seeks out Jesus, and we don't know if this is the first, second, or third option, how many people he's, he's going to, but what we do know is he's desperate. And Jesus and his disciples recently just returned to Galilee. And as you can remember, in, in John chapter 3, the, 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 the miracle at the wedding where Jesus turned water into wine. And so essentially, Jesus is still the talk of the town. If they had social media at the time, he'll still be the trendy topic. People at restaurants or at the gym running to each other and say, hey, hey, you remember that Jesus guy? He was at the wedding. He made all this wine. It was the best wine. Are oh, you talking about uh, Tasha's and... And, and, and Michael's wedding, yeah, 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 that wedding. But Jesus doesn't return for a pat on the back. He, he don't return for, for autographs, but he returns because he has a mission. And that mission is to tell the people, that, that mission is to demonstrate the kingdom of God. But the people, the people are looking to Jesus to do something great again. They, they, they want a front row seat to his great works. But Jesus refused to be some performance for entertainment. <laughs> it's the complete opposite, which is summed up in our main idea for this morning, which is Jesus demonstrates his great works so that we might trust in him alone. And I want us to see three evidence of faith in Jesus from our text this morning. The first evidence of faith is that faith in Jesus is evident by taking a desperate posture. Did you hear that desperation as our brother was reading that text? We see this in verses 46 through 49. John doesn't give us this father's name, but we have his profession. He's an official. And even though this official is unnamed, he has a lot of clout socially and politically by serving alongside Herod, who was the, the governor of Galilee during that time. And you're probably asking, Ortez, what, is, what does this have to do with anything? These details are important because this official, he had power. He had influence. He had rank. But he didn't come to Jesus flaunting that power, flaunting that rank, giving orders out. But in fact, he came to Jesus desperate. Desperate, he was seeking healing on the behalf of his severely sick son. He even took an 18-mile journey from Capernaum to Galilee to inquire about this, this miracle-working rabbi that he heard about. And it's obvious, it's obvious that this official didn't have the resources. I mean, we can imagine he probably had health, good health insurance, um, a low deductible, good premium, all that good stuff. He probably had access to the best doctors in the city, 
But even those doctors couldn't heal his son. So Jesus probably was his last resort. I'm sure a lot of us in this room, those of you who are listening, you could probably relate because you probably found yourself in a desperate situation. You, you probably experienced despair in an extended season in your life, and you wanted relief. You wanted a, a new start, and you began to look to other things and other people as a means of rescue. Don't get me wrong, people can be great resources when we're going through difficult seasons. But we are all limited in what we can do. We're all limited in what we know. But you get to a point when you eventually realize that you don't have the resources to make your situation right. And then this is what we say, okay, God, now, now you can do what you can do. But brothers and sisters, God invites us to take our despair, our anxiety, our fear to him, to trust him, because he is the good shepherd that gently cares and tends for us. He is the powerful and the, the sovereign God who is in control over all of our circumstances. Jesus doesn't want to be the last resort. He wants to be the first resort. This father's agenda was very clear. Look with me in verse 47. He wanted Jesus to come back, come back to his home and to heal his son. But notice, notice in the text that Jesus didn't just immediately comply to his request. Because he knew, just like at the wedding, his mom taps him on the shoulder and she realizes that the wine has run out and she says, Jesus, the wine has run out. He looked to his, his mother and said, woman, my time hadn't come. And what I, I believe our, our brother pastor, Michael Rose, he helped us see that Jesus knew that he knew the risk that he was taking when he performed that great miracle of turning the water into wine. He knew at that point people would be so, uh, so, so joyous, so entertained even that matter. And want to crown him as king, and he knew his time hadn't come yet. So he didn't budge at this official's request. He was intentional. But Jesus, he humbles this man, and not just this man, but the crowd, not just this crowd, but us, with this pointed statement in verse 48. He says, unless you, that you is actually plural, so we in the South, unless y'all see signs and wonders, you would not believe. Unless you all see signs and wonders, you would not believe. He knew most people just wanted to see signs and wonders. They wasn't there for Jesus. They was there for his act. And Jesus is exposing this superficial faith that is only concerned with the sign and not the purpose of the sign. Forgive me if I cause uh, some of y'all to stumble by talking about this place that we probably all visited multiple times in our lives, Chick-fil-A. Um, and just remind you, they closed. How many of y'all like drive home from church and you like, let's go to Chick-fil-A, realize, man, it's Sunday. <laughs> so maybe they at church, you know what I'm saying? You know Chick-fil-A, they anointed over there. But um, <laughs> 
the best chicken sandwiches, waffle fries, you know, the lemonade. We all can testify, right? One thing about Chick-fil-A, they don't have to do a lot of marketing. I mean, you can go to any Chick-fil-A, right, said You go to any Chick-fil-A, and that line, like, down the street, right, and people steady getting in that line. Like, people show up late for work just to get them some Chick-fil-A, whether it's a biscuit, you know, a sandwich, a salad, whatever you want. But I'm always intrigued by Chick-fil-A. They marketing, man. It's, it's brilliant. They got some commercials, but they got them billboards, too, right? Y'all seen the billboards with the cow standing on the other cow back and writing some kind of script, and it's obviously grammatically incorrect. But the cows are saying, eat more chicken. Hey, y'all, chill out on the beef. Go get the chicken. And it's brilliant. And they got the mileage. Hey, Chick-fil-A is, what, 50 miles away? And then depending on how hungry you are, you probably hitting that gas like, hey, I'm almost there. Chick-fil-A, they don't spend thousands, millions of dollars on marketing just for us to be enamored by the billboards, <laughs> to stop and want to take selfies with the billboards. But Chick-fil-A spends so much money, time, and research on the marketing so you can come in. <laughs> come in and eat. Spend your money. Fill your stomach. Jesus, Jesus isn't selling chicken sandwich and waffle fries, but his signs, the, the billboards, if you will, are to, to point us to himself. It's the invitation to an eternal relationship, not entertainment. It's an invitation to real faith, not a surface or superficial faith. We all have the tendency of redefining our relationship with Christ. And it becomes very conditional. We use a lot of ifs. We say, if you do this for me, then I'll be more serious about my relationship with you. I start going to church and read my Bible and, you know, stop cursing as much. And I do all these things. If you perform this miracle, for my situation, then I know you really love me. Brothers and sisters, he doesn't owe us anything. But the truth of the matter is, in his goodness, he has given us more than enough. But the reality is, we forget. We, we, we doubt a lot. And we completely reject that it was his good and kind act on our life, and we credit it to the universe. We credit it to karma. We credit it to being good people or, or working really hard. That's far from the truth. And as we look at our text, we even examine the official's life. The first four verses, it it's really not clear that the official had faith in Christ opposed to just wanting to come and want to just receive a sign for his, or a miracle rather, for his son. But it is clear about his posture. He had a posture of desperation as he continues to beg, sir, come down before my child dies. You don't have to be a parent but if you could just put yourself in his shoes, he, he left his child. He, he took a journey 18 miles. His, his child was on, the, on his deathbed. He's saying, Jesus, would you come? But one thing is more noticeable than this man's desperation is, is Christ's mercy. 
This man is pleading before the Lord, and, and Christ, he doesn't just dismiss him. He didn't sit back and say, hey, I know. I know your faith hadn't been the strongest in me. I know your church attendance. I ain't seen you in the synagogues uh, every, every Sabbath. I know how you talked to your wife last night. He didn't rub his face into his sin and his shortcomings. You see, if y'all, if y'all missed it, Jesus welcomes the humble. He welcomes the desperate. So where do you find yourself this morning? As you examine your life past few weeks, few months, is that posture of desperation a pattern in your life? The faith in Jesus is evident by taking a desperate posture. Secondly, we see faith in Jesus is evident by believing his promises. Verse 50. Jesus' response is, is, is mind-blowing. This official, he's begging him, come, come to my house, come lay hands, come, come heal, come work, come work your miracle. What you do, I need you to do that for my son. And Jesus looked at the official right in his face. He said, go, your son will live. I mean, as a father, you're talking about the most joyous five words you can ever hear in that point of time of your life. Go. Your son will live. But those five words were, were delivered with so much power, so much authority. And when we're going through difficult circumstances, it's nice to hear positive, encouraging things from friends, from family members, even from strangers. But ain't nothing like hearing the promises of God. He, he has that, that bomb that it heals, it, it soothes those wounds and those pains in a different way that we can never hear from someone else's voice. His word, it revives our heart. Does your heart need reviving today? His word, they, they bring life. His word is unchanging. Numbers chapter 23 verse 10 reminds us that God is not human that he should lie, not a human being, that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Boy, you're talking about needing some hope in the time that we are right now. Contrary to your flesh, contrary, contrary to the world, to the lies that you may believe, God hasn't changed and he's not going to change no time soon, ever. <laughs> the official he believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. It's a huge shift in tone. In the beginning, you see the official, desperate, pleading for Jesus. Now, you see the official holding on to the promises of God. Not just looking for a sign, but believing in Jesus himself. And this word, believe... Not believe academy, brain. This word believe in the original language, commenter says, it carries strong implications of trust. And it's connected with the expectation that Christ would prove reliable. Let me read that again. This word believe carries strong implications of trust. And it's connected with the expectation that Christ would prove reliable. In other words... It's not just positive thinking. It's not us trying to manifest a better reality. 
But to trust Jesus would do what he said he would do, despite the fact you can't even see it. The official left. <laughs> he left his presence saying, all right, I believe. The father didn't have a rebuttal. He didn't ask follow-up questions. He said, okay, my, you say my son will live. All right, Jesus, so is there a type of medicine that you have that, you know what I'm saying, that my doctors haven't, you know, came across that you're going to send over there? Okay. You say, go, my son. Oh, okay, so your disciples are going to go with me, and they're going to lay hands. The father had no idea how Jesus would do what he said he was going to do, but Jesus made a promise, and the father believed. I may get some pushback with this, but hear me out. I believe, I know I'm saying believe a lot, uh, I believe that no matter whatever your religion is, Christian or not, we're all strong believers. I mean, every single day, no matter who you are, you put 100% of your trust in someone or something, and you don't even know if they're going to hold up the end of the bargain. How many of us remember when the Hernando de Soto Bridge was, was shut down recently? Sir G, amen. He's the only person they remember. Okay, Sir G, uh, no, I'm sure y'all remember. And so essentially, the bridge was shut down for months because the, the Arkansas Department of Transportation recently discovered a fracture in the beam. Um, my engineers, y'all know what I'm talking about. It was a fracture in the beam. So it was a big deal. People were frustrated. You know, you got to take these detours and go all around, make these turns, and finally go over the other bridge, right? But they were concerned. All these cars and semi-trucks and things of, that, uh, that, things of that nature going to and from, they had to stop this and, 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 and tend to this particular problem. But it's interesting that out of the 40,000 people who travel across that bridge every single day, I would bet that not one person got out their car and stopped and said, let me check and see this bridge. I don't see no cracks. Okay. All right, we good to go. Let's go. I doubt it. No matter what your faith was, you believed in that architect, those engineers, whoever, that you were secure enough to drive across that bridge. As Christians, as followers of Christ, as believers in Christ, he's inviting us to a greater belief with a stronger foundation to build our lives on his promises. As we walk across the bridge of life, even when we can't see the very end of it, we don't even know what tomorrow holds. He guides us with his word. He, he guides us with his indwelling spirit. He guides us with community. When you isolate yourself, you step back from community. You're, 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 you're putting yourself in an unhealthy position. Oh, just me and God. <laughs> that can only get you so far. God created us not to be alone. It ain't just for marriage. He guides us. And he also secures us in his love. Walking by faith is difficult. It's difficult. Amen? No amens. Okay, y'all got an easy walk. <laughs> Walking by faith is difficult, amen? amen? Especially when it's not working out the way you hope. We can open God's word. We know God is a healer. But sometimes his timing and his means of healing 
most all the time, sorry, his timing and his means are up to him, not to us. I got a, I got a good friend right now. He's in the ICU in a coma. I was just talking to this brother about a month ago. And I look up and I hear this sad news. I, I went to visit him a couple times with some other friends and, I, and I'm looking like, wow. There's people praying in his community. I've been praying for him. And I'm asking God, as I'm even preparing for this message, I'm like, God, you, you did a miracle for this official. I know you can do a miracle for this guy. But the timing and the means is it's not up to me. It's not up to us. It's up to him. Walking by faith is difficult. God, God promised that he would supply all of our needs in Christ Jesus. But that doesn't always equate to financial gain. That doesn't always equate to promotions, business success. We know in Christ, God has promised he would never leave us nor forsake us. But that doesn't mean that his discipline isn't painful. And when we're going through those seasons of discipline, we begin to believe the lies that, God, you have forsaken me. You don't love me. Walking by faith is difficult. We know God has promised that he would use us as vessels to expand his kingdom. But sometimes it don't feel like that. Trying to be a Christian, a faithful Christian, not perfect, but a faithful Christian. Some of you youth in middle school, in high school, just feeling the pressure to, to hide your faith because friends are poking fun at you, posting uh, funny memes and, and videos on our social medias about Christians. It's difficult. God, you say you want to use me, but <laughs> what's going on? You promised that people will be saved. You promised that you, 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 you're sending, you're raising up labors in your harvest field. But sometimes it doesn't work out the way we hope for. But my encouragement for you, don't give up on God. Don't give up on God. He can be trusted. He can be trusted because of his character. And the biggest declaration he made was before eternity passed, get this, the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit made an agreement. The Son said, Father, I know it's going to be an issue. You're going to create these people. <laughs> and soon enough, they're going to disobey. They're going to transgress against you. And there is nothing that they can do within themselves to save themselves and make a right relationship with you. This is before he created anybody. The father says, son, I need you to do something. I need, I, I need you to, to wrap yourself in flesh, to be a suitable, the perfect sacrifice and substitute for my children. Yes, they may reject you. They are going to reject you. But I need you to show them the way, the truth, and the life. Son, I got to put my wrath on you. I know we, we've never been separated ever for all of eternity, but I got to turn my face on you. The son said, Father, send me, I go. Not only that, the spirit, he said, I'm going to always be with you. And when you die, 
I'll be there to, to raise you up victoriously from that grave. And not just that, I'm going to come and indwell in the church and indwell in believers and be that comforter. I'm going to be the person that bring into remembrance all the promises of God. This was the plan of salvation. And if your faith is in Christ, all these blessings are yours. God can be trusted. This is the anchor and the substance of our faith. This is what I want us to do. I, I just want us to take just 30 seconds. You can bow your head, close your eyes, and ask yourself, what is something right now you're doubting of God? What is something that you're doubting of God? I want you to name that right now. Just take 30 seconds to name that. This is what I want us to do. I'm going to open my hands as if the father opened his hands towards his child. Let's put it in God's hands. Whatever that doubt, whatever got you crippled with fear, I want you to put it in God's hands because he loves you. Because he's a God of big promises and he fulfilled all his promises on the behalf of his children. Amen. We saw this evidence of faith is by believing his promises. And lastly, from our text, we see faith in Jesus is evident by surrendering our lives to his power in verses 51 and 54. Jesus fulfills his promises, and it's clear because the official left his presence, having believed his promise that Jesus would heal his son. He probably slept better that night, too. He wasn't as anxious anymore. He knew that when he, uh, he woke up the next day that he was going to re reunite with his son, but he didn't know how things were going to transpire. And so as the father left that following day, back to his 18-mile journey home, one of his servants met him. And the text tells us that the servants met him and told him his son was recovering. So it's one thing to hear that Jesus it's going to heal him, but it's another thing to hear the report. Listen, your son is recovering. He's going to live. Jesus demonstrated his power from a distance. And the father out of curiosity, he said, hey, uh, so what time did my son start to recover? The service said about one o'clock, the seventh hour. Guess what the father said? That was the same exact time Jesus said, go, your son will live. Jesus' power is put on display, and the text doesn't say Jesus sent some medicine for the boy's sake. He didn't send one of his disciples to lay hands on him, but he powerfully worked a long-distance miracle. The great doctor spoke a word, and he was healed. <laughs> and as you can imagine, when this official went back home, man, his family, they was kicking it. <laughs> they was celebrating they were excited to see the little boy doing well again. And as you can imagine, when the official got home and, and opened the door, honey, y'all won't believe this. I met Jesus, the Savior of the world. 
the people that the, the people were, were talking about him, but I met him face to face, personally. He did what he said he was going to do. <laughs> that whole house was changed and transformed forever. And the text tells us, and he believed, and his whole household believed. God is not done working. This, this isn't just ancient news. Man, that's a cool story. That worked out for them, but what about me? I'm looking at God's trophies right now. If you're tuning in virtually, you're a trophy of God as well. Because God is a miracle worker. You think about it. I'm sure some of you guys can testify. I'm not going to say names, but I know a sister in my mind who had a sickness. And she's here today because God worked a healing power in her life. Maybe it's somebody who could testify that God broke some, some unhealthy strongholds in your life. Maybe it was an addiction to pornography. And there was nothing that you can do within yourself to break from that addiction. And God gave you victory. He's giving you da daily progressive victory. Maybe it was drugs. Maybe it was alcohol. Something that had a control over you and you didn't have control over it. Maybe it's somebody here who could testify that God has healed your marriage that was on the verge of divorce. He worked a miracle in your marriage. God still is at work. Brothers and sisters, that's something that you have to experience from yourself. That's something that you could witness through someone else's life. That's something that transforms you from the inside out. And you say, God, here is my life. God, use me. God, help me believe you. Even when I can't see the bigger picture, I can, I can hold on to your unchanging hand. We can't pay God back. It's impossible, and that's contrary to the gospel. But we owe him everything. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you're so patient with us that at times we do, we try to manipulate you, which is impossible. God, if you do this, then I will be a better follower of you. God, I'm desperate. If you really love me, you will change my circumstances. God, in your kindness and your goodness, you do intervene. But God, I pray that we won't just be seeking or consumed with the sign with your great works or even with your blessings, but we will be consumed with you. And I pray for all of us in this room as we have confessed and named those doubts, God, replace it with a faith that's rooted in you. A faith that's rooted in the, the finished work of Christ, our big brother, our savior, our good shepherd, that all your promises find their yes and their amen in him. And so, God, we give you ourselves. May we not leave this place untransformed. And it's in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said together, amen. Now, extend your arms, your hands, as we receive the Lord's blessing. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Go in peace.